Technology, data, and automation will all play a role in accounts payable as we take a look into the next few years. But how important is technology, data, and automation? Can you be successful ignoring these issues? I've invited a panel of thought leaders to examine this, this issue. Hey guys, I'm Mary Schaefer, founder of AP Now, and I am joined by an amazing panel of experts who will introduce themselves in a few minutes. But first, let's dive in. So Mandy, let's start with you. Moving forward, do you think technology, data, and automation will play a big part in the career success of accounts payable and accounting professionals? Oh, I absolutely do. I mean, we don't need this stuff necessarily to be successful. We've been doing it for years and years with, you know, paper and pen, but it doesn't make our jobs any easier. So we do need to have, you know, updated technology and automation has is, is been huge over the last several years. Mm -hmm. My team right now is currently undergoing an automation and we're looking forward to being able to take our eyes off of the manual processes that we do every day and really dig into the analytics and some of the things that we don't always have time to do. Okay, Dan, do you agree with her? Yeah, I do. I think automation is a massive big lever for us all. It's a big win, but I'm always reminded it was a great comment made by, it might be a Bill Gates comment, I don't know, but he said that when you apply automation to an efficient operation, it magnifies the efficiency. If you apply automation to an inefficient operation, it magnifies the inefficiency. <laughs> so the point about that is be careful what you wish for. Right. So I think we do need to be very conscious that automation is a big part of the future, but it's critically important to get deeply acquainted with the process, the routes through the process, the people, kind of behavior and habits we have in processes and technology and data, but data not just from a kind of visualization point of view, but from a both performance and defects point of view, what, what's going well and what's going badly. But I think automation is key, but if you don't understand the process, it's a horrible, horrible journey. Yep, yep. <laughs> Again, what's been your experience? I absolutely agree with everybody. I think accounts payable continues to make huge strides in automation. I believe there's a lot more out there that we, that we know and don't know. But I think as we continue on with the automation process, the overall AP process will become more effective and efficient. Good, good. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. All righty. So one of the issues that, that I hear talked about all the time is the two screens. So how important is it in your opinion that the invoice processes have two screens? And it just hit me. I didn't ask you folks to introduce yourself. So Jen, why don't we start with you? Why don't you introduce yourself and then talk about two screens and whether you think they're important or not? My name is Jennifer Stamper and I, and I work for the Capital Group Companies. I've been with the company for 19 years and I'm currently in the lead accountant role. I feel like two screens is extremely important. I think it allows accountants to work more effective and efficient instead of having to toggle back and forth between different tasks. I also believe the use of two screens minimizes errors and reduces processing time overall. Yep, I, I agree. How about you, Dan? Well, in terms of introduction, I'm Dan French. I'm founder and CEO at Consider Solutions, where we focus on kind of process, technology, data, behavioral issues for around purchase to pay, AP, and the other core financial processes. But to answer that question, I think absolutely yes. I think, and it's not just AP, anybody who does a data intensive job where you need to compare and contrast things, you've got to check out, you know, this is what the ERP says, but what's the status on the, you know, what does the supplier portal say? What's the invoice actually say? You want to have the ability to, to, you know, 
jump between screens and you want them to be big screens, right? So that's, that's perfectly reasonable. Mandy? Sure. I'm Mandy Jenkins. I'm the AP Purchasing Manager at InterDigital. And funny story, I really didn't know what my company did up until like last week. I found out that, you know, we are the technology that goes into our wireless services. And the reason we're able to do this call today is because of InterDigital's video capabilities. So very cool. Yeah. You know, I do agree with everything that Jennifer and Dan said about the two screens. It's very hard to multitask on one. So, you know, you can have multiple things open. It helps with your research, your data entry, making sure that you're, you're correct and there's no errors. So my team absolutely has to have two. So guys, some of us, or maybe all of us, were on a different call this week with the APA Association, and people were talking about three and four screens. Have any of you experienced that? I'm still working on one big screen, by the way. Dan, what about you? I, I have a couple of people in my group who do like to maximize the number of screens they can possibly get on the real estate they have. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're going to have to end up getting much bigger space for them. But yeah, I, I think it becomes a personal choice. I, some people seem to be able to flip across, you know, multiple devices and multiple big screens. For me, more than two would you know, probably give me an aneurysm, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was surprised when I heard that. Were you, were you Mandy? I've done three before, but I, you know, it is kind of hard, especially with space and then trying to, to make sure you're looking everywhere. At the so, right one. At the yeah, right exactly. <laughs> so two what a good way to is, is my max. If you surround yourself with three screens, you can completely camouflage yourself from the rest of your colleagues. There you go. <laughs> Good career advice. <laughs> what about Jen? What about you, Jen? Have you ever run into the three, three or four? I've screens? tried it, but I don't. I feel like it, it's more busy in the way it kind of doesn't utilize my time more effectively. But I do know there are some people on our team that that do swear by the three screens. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It seems I could see having email opened on one and then working on the other two, but I don't know. All right. Whatever. I, I thought that was interesting. All right. Enough about screens. <laughs> Do you regularly use Excel or some other analytical tool? And if it's some other one, could you please share what, what it is? And Dan, let's start with you on this. So I kind of use various tools that kind of present analytics to me that have been put together by folks that know what they're doing. So some, sometimes that's in Excel, sometimes it's in process specific analytical tools that are in some of the applications we use. And, you know, I think that's fine. I think the bigger, my concern is always, are we sure where the data came from? Has someone, is the data trusted? Is the analysis that someone's done, is it trusted? As in, do they understand the process and do, do they understand the nuances of the data? Because what is the worst thing ever is to be presented with information that looks like a causative relationship. Like I've got all this stuff and then all this stuff. Therefore, you know, B is because of A. And then you find it's not that at all because you haven't been shown all the data or you or somebody's kind of presented it in a certain way. So except all of these tools are great, but my my concern is actually people, I mean, our folks constantly show us new, there's new tool for doing this. I go, yeah, that's great. How are we going to be better at making sure right. the data's right? right? And they look at me, go, well, yeah, that doesn't change. I said, well, so I don't really, my concern is I, I much prefer to have the data right and trusted and consistent for everybody than several people or several groups creating their own version of the truth 
that supports their own kind of performance measures or whatever. It's, so it's a delicate balance is all I'd say. Yep, yep. And then, of course, you also have the issue as every time you get a new tool, you have to learn how to use it and learn how to use it correctly. At least it's an issue for me. Let me just leave it at that. Jen, what do you think? So we've, I primarily use Excel and we've dabbled in some other tools, Alteryx most, most recently, but it seems like we always kind of go back to Excel, just kind of to touch on what Dan said, you know, you have to have the best data available. So, you know, Excel seems to always be the one that we go back to. I know that's something that we're looking at to try to see if there's other tools out there we can use, but right now we primarily use Excel. And I got to tell you, I'm always amazed I don't know, some of you may have heard him talk, a colleague of mine, Bill Jellin, calls himself Mr. Excel, which is like a great marketing name. But anyway, every time like I talk to him or I look at his, he's got a YouTube channel with a gazillion videos on it. When I look at all the functionality that's in Excel that I don't use. So it's, it's amazing. Mandy? You wanna... um, yeah, we primarily use Excel, but you know, I agree with you. Like I really want to tap into its full potential. I agree with both Jennifer and Dan that the data integrity is very important. You know, we, we have other forums to get this data, but if you can't trust it, you're not going to be able to use it effectively. So yeah. I do the same thing that you do, Jennifer. I go right back to Excel because I can, <laughs> I, I, I know what I'm putting in there and I know that it's going to be the most effective for me. Yeah. Dan, did you look, you looked like you wanted to add something. Yeah. I'm just saying that the number of times that I've been into a cross-functional meeting where everyone's, where it's about a topic, but the topic is at the intersection of various disciplines. So for example, it might be the intersection of AP procurement, buying and sourcing. And, and you're talking about a particular issue, let's say supplier trends, but everyone comes with the same data or everyone comes with their own data. With their own and data. <laughs> And it's usually, it, it, and it doesn't matter whether it's in Excel or Tableau or whatever, they come with all this stuff and you spend half the meeting debating that that actually isn't the data because the data is this and know that. So that's one of the concerns that I, you know, if we can get rid of all of that, you know, getting aligned around what the data is, it saves an awful lot of time, which comes back to the point where, you know, Mandy and Jennifer already commented on. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's move on. There's a lot of misconceptions out there, but what do you see as the biggest misconception about technology, data, and automation? Mandy, you want to start with that one? Yeah. So automation, the biggest conception or misconception that I've come across is that it's going to eliminate your job. Oh. No, it's, it's not eliminating your job. It's just changing the way we're doing the job. It's going to make it more efficient and we're going to be better with our processes. As far as data, the misconception, like we just talked about, is that my data is correct. You know, it's <laughs> no one else's is. It's, it's mine. It's got to be my way. Yep. Okay. All righty. And yeah, I know. And one of the things with automation, and it's really frustrating when you see a management team who thinks, okay, we're going to automate the AP function today and tomorrow you can let go of half your staff. <laughs> and you know, the vendors don't start using the solution right away and it, it doesn't implement as smoothly as you hoped. And Dan, how about you? Well, I agree with Mandy that the, the comment or the ob general observation that automation eliminates jobs is kind of, you know, it, it's unhelpful, but even worse than that, the one that is my personal hobby horse is people say, oh, AI, artificial intelligence is going to solve that. And, you know, there's a lot of lighthearted responses to that, but there's a great quote that says, 
the idea that you're going to AI your way out of a problem you don't understand is like the ultimate madness. It makes no sense. I mean, AI is purely a mechanism, a software development mechanism, and it's sophisticated. But it, it's not like having your own sentient robot. It's still got, you know, it's still got a lot of error, you know, a lot of issues you've got to deal with. And, and I find particularly right now, all of the technology vendors are busy saying that they're AI, right. which apparently makes them perfect. And you go, well, right. so how does that work then? And, and the, this whole point is that, that it's all about data. Funnily enough, whether it's, you know, the AI discipline is all around the quality of the data. So if you've got really good source data and a lot of it, an enormous breadth, then you've got a lot of opportunities, but you've still got to make sure the algorithms have been designed with the right end in mind. So I think the kind of technology will eliminate jobs and AI will eliminate even more, I think <laughs> is just kind of foolish. I mean, we, I just give you an example. You know, we, in my own organization, we have, have some pretty smart data scientists and we've got a kind of AI machine learning team and they are wonderful. They're massively smart, but they come up with stuff and they show me this and they're so excited. And I, and I have to kind of, I have to kind of look like I'm excited too. And I say, so what's that telling us? They tell me, I said, but you know, that isn't true. They go, what? I said, that, what that show is not, is not correct. And they go, well, the algorithm. I said, I don't really care about the algorithm. Yeah. That is not correct. And they go, oh, well, it must be a data problem. Yeah. That's called being wrong. <laughs> right. Right. But anyway, I have to, but I can only do that occasionally because it upsets them. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Jen? So I agree with both Mandy and Dan. One, that the biggest thing takeaway is oh, everyone always wonders, oh, what's going to happen to me once this automation becomes, you know, and becomes part of our daily lives. And then the other thing I wanted to touch on, kind of what Dan kind of was going through, was that the, one of the biggest things that I've experienced, because we've been doing a new automation tool for the last two, three years, is that it'll work perfectly, it'll work perfectly from the start because it's automation. <laughs> You know, and they don't realize that that there goes there's a lot of effort, stress, training and, and programming and reprogram that have to go into this process once it's implemented and in production that kind of makes everybody have to rethink about how they do their job and, and how to fix things. And also one thing I wanted to touch on was that the desired results will take some time, but it'll be worth it in the end. It's just it's just a slow process to get where we want to be. Yep. Yep. So Dan, when you were talking about AI and the results, I, it reminded me, and I kind of was chuckling to myself, one of the services that we subscribe to that we use for something else comes up with ideas of things that we should give talks for, like it's basically for YouTube and they're AI generated. And they're very proud of this. And I, I look every day because, you know, I'm interested. And I, sometimes I'm looking most of the time, I'm kind of like, what are you talking about? Exactly. First of all, I know nothing about this topic. And second of all, what is it? <laughs> so I, I think we've got a long way to go on, on the AI front. Oh, all right. All righty. And Jen, I'm going to pick on you first for this. If you could pick just one area for professionals to learn more about in 2023, what would it be? I'm going to go with analytical tools just because it's something that I know that for our AP department, we could use that for the future. Okay. And how about you, Mandy? Yeah, I agree with Jen. It's the, the analytical tools and then knowing how to use the data once you have it. Mm -hmm. And Dan? 
I kind of uh, agree about the analytical bit, but I would encourage people to focus on data about the use of data and the benefits of data to provide insight on the processes and inform us. And that's not as easy as it sounds because you know, understanding the nuances of process operation means that you need to understand data, but you need to understand processes as well. And to be able to get the data analysis that you want, whatever tool you use, you need to understand what I call the kind of the key business questions. What are the key business questions I want answer to, which are basically fall into two categories is what does good look like? What are all the good things I want? And how do I break that down into something meaningful questions that are meaningful that we can look at in data, which is kind of performance, if you like. And then the other bit is what does bad look like, which is where are all the places, what are the things that can go wrong? And you've got to know what they are to be able to analyze them. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of interesting, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of people, this comes back to the conversation about AI. People assume, oh, well, you know, if we have all these things, it'll work it out. Well, you know, that's a hope, but it's not very, it's not reality. You've got to have people who understand the key business questions. And one of the things about those key questions is they're really, really hard to express, even as a subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. And I know even in my own business, you know, every year we try and come up with some key business questions for our own business. And it is really, really hard to do. I mean, it's, I'm always astonished by how hard it is. And you ask people to identify the key business questions for their area of responsibility. And it really, it makes your head hurt. And it takes you a little bit of time and, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to think about it. So I agree, analytical tools, but analytical capabilities, which is more of a human thing for me. So guys, I have to tell you that I'm a little surprised, but I, you know, I bow to your expertise that nobody really talked about blockchain. <laughs> what do you I didn't about? know what it was until oh, I Googled yeah. it yesterday, <laughs> well, <laughs> to be honest. So you're would... telling me I need to do a broadcast on that? Yeah, I please educate me. <laughs> I, I think the blockchain hype is well past its peak because people have realized the idea was you'd have this trusted ledger, which mm -hmm. operates beyond companies, beyond across companies, a single trusted place where all the data is, you wouldn't need to worry about sending invoices. It will be there. It's some kind of utopia. And the, one of the ideas was it would be trusted and you couldn't, you couldn't defraud Change it. it. Couldn't yeah. hack it. Well, they've proven that you can hack it. So, mm -hmm. and if it's, if it's universally owned, that gets even more problematic. So, you know, there are some good use cases of blockchain out there, but not half as many as they said, probably seven or eight years ago, we were told that every business process right. be immersed in blockchain hasn't happened. And frankly, you know, apart from the diehard, you know, believers, I think most people have said, you know what, it's, you know, maybe there's some places it can be used, but it's the, the basic argument behind it didn't really hold order, in my opinion. Well, I mean, the only the best example of the I say the best, the biggest successful example of a blockchain implementation is Bitcoin. Right. Bitcoin has lost its shine as well because, you know, that's kind of goes up and down like, you know, it's not really yes. a currency. It's just some kind of speculation vehicle. Right. I, I look at it as a commodity. You know, gold goes up and down. Foreign exchange goes up and down. So, and, and the other thing with blockchain, which I kind of find amusing, is once you say something can't be hacked, 
that's like throwing the gauntlet down to, to all the, you know, 16-year-old hackers out there that they're mm -hmm. going to be, they're determined that it's going to be hacked. I've got then, a funny little story for you, which, yeah. um, because it's on this topic. I was talking, a few years ago, I was talking to a couple of academics who are seriously into this blockchain thing and a whole idea that this single source of truth and it, and it, once you committed some information, it couldn't be changed. And I, I said, you know, it was all very kind of high level. I said, so let's say I wanted to sell my house. And let's mm -hmm. say I put my house on a blockchain enabled real estate site. And I had a picture of a much nicer house. I put it in there <laughs> and I, I put the price of 10 times what my house costs. And it's there, so you can't change it, right? Because it's the whole point is right. you can't change it, but it's there. And somehow or other get through the system. I said, so people, and then people can buy it and they'll see that and they'll buy it because they think it's great, it's trusted. And then they'll turn up to the actual house and realize it doesn't look like the one they bought. And the academic, it was a professor at one of the big US universities said, he said, that's very interesting. That's the, um, that's what we call the interface to reality problem. And I went, really? You've got a interface name Interface to reality. <laughs> and he was serious. He wasn't joking. I just thought it was incredibly funny, but to have a problem called interface to reality shows a lot. <laughs> well, in my, in my experience, that's a problem with real estate anyway. You see the picture online, it always <laughs> looks beautiful. It's somebody else's house. Well, it's, it's, it is the house, but then you show up and they've like cropped it so you don't see, I don't know, the dog patch next door or <laughs> a nuclear power plant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. As, as those watching this are probably painfully aware, technology sometimes helps crooks perpetrate frauds. And those frauds, unfortunately, are often focused on the staff who works in accounts payable, accounting, and treasury. I recently did a short talk where I tried to explain how the newest technology might be used to trick some AP accounting and treasury folks. You can watch it right now using the link that will appear momentarily on YouTube and is in the show notes below. As always, we appreciate your thumbs up, your subscribes, your shares, and your comments. And of course, we greatly appreciate this panel. 